Well, uh, good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining. Uh, first off, I'd like to apologize for the postponement last week. Um, that was completely my fault. I had to go and get married, so um, that was a big deal for me. So we did postpone that. Um, so congratulations, well worth, <laughs> well worth postponing. <laughs> thank you. Um, so uh, on the topic for tonight, uh, I'd like to – we talked about it a couple weeks ago. I'd like to go back to it. It's uh, the National Drone Week, um, Drone Safety Week is coming up uh, November 4th through the 10th. And one of the things that we talked about doing was publishing some videos for uh, to release during uh, that week. Uh, coming from the FPVFC, and we've put a list together of a couple um, different topics that we would like to see some videos on, but obviously, you know, we won't be able to produce all of them, and literally what we're asking for is 30 seconds of, of video that you can hit maybe one of these topics, or somebody could hit one of these topics, maybe some, not you, but somebody you fly with that's really good at doing a, a vlog or, or something like that. Um, I know I'm going to commit to making at least one of these videos. Um, but also some ideas that we can kind of push out there um, for others to to make. Um, we'd really like to get it involved in uh, the National Drone Safety Week uh, because you know I think it has a potential to highlight a lot of the key benefits of UAS and resident uh, – sorry um, – not residential, uh, recreational flight, um, and, uh, you know, help guide the public in the right direction towards what we can do, um, what we actually do, and what we're actually not doing. Um, so on that note, um, I've got a couple ideas uh, for some videos. Uh, first off, what do I need to fly? So um, the thought process was actually let me copy and paste this if I can. Let's see. We'll see, see if this works. Yes. So what do I need to fly? Uh, vi uh, simple video collecting the things we need to fly is explained on our FPVFC homepage. So um, you know, and that would include obviously right there the safety guidelines, uh, a visual observer or a spotter. Um, where you can fly, uh, and either in uncontrolled, what do you need to do there? Um, pretty much nothing. Uh, versus controlled airspace using the land system. Um, regulations uh, apply, how regulations apply to all drones, including the sub-250. Um, let's see. We also have uh, you know, just a quick video tutorial on how to register with the FAA, how we register, what that actually means. Um, we register the pilot, not the drone, uh, for recreational, whereas 107, each individual drone would need to be registered. Um, and where to place the registration number on the drone, and maybe a couple different solutions for um, uh, putting that registration number on the drone, whether it be Dymo labels, engraving uh stickers uh you know scotch, any tape. scotch tape you know 
whatever works for you. Um, but just a couple different examples of how that works and where it needs to go. Um, we also have flight preparation. Um, reference the pre-flight travel and racing checklist that we have on the FPVFC website. Um, those are pretty good. Uh, I use them from time to time, especially when I'm packing for for a trip. Um, I like to use the the travel ones. Um, let's see, packing for the trip to the flying spot. Make sure you're not leaving anything behind. Uh, lipo safety, um, how to charge uh, safely, and traveling with them. Um, personal safety and etiquette of flying in a group at a race. If you race or you fly in a group you know how important that etiquette is, right? Um, you know, it might be good just a video based on race events or, or uh, group flying and kind of the do's and don'ts. Um, so, and then we also have uh, during the flight, staying below 400 feet, um, how to accurately tell that you're below 400 feet, the different types of technology that you can utilize to to ensure that you're staying uh, at that altitude or below. Uh, spotter must have drone in line of sight um, and yield right away to man aircraft and kind of how that works and what that looks like. Uh, and we also have uh, encountering friends, law enforcement, and adversarial public. Um, basically, how to respond to people, uh, whether it's law enforcement, um, maybe somebody uh, at the park. I know I've had to respond to uh, people at the park that were a little upset that I was flying there. Um, kind of how, how that works and, and what that conversation should be like. Or, you know, if a friend's nearby asking you questions while you're flying, you know, that, that can be a distraction and, and cause somebody to get hurt. Um, how to request a Lance authorization. Um, so basically going through the, the steps in the app to um, get that authorization and, and what that looks like. And let's see. I also have couple other ones here um how to utilize the different apps to verify the ability to fly um i know i use kitty hawk for the most part um and that has uh, worked well for me uh but basically the different kitty hawk can i mean i know kitty hawk for example can go really in depth in what you can do with it so you know and it's not always clear on um the steps you need to take to set things up so if uh, somebody could do a, a tutorial on, on that. That would be fantastic. Um, how to review TFRs and, and uh, notices to airmen. Uh, basically, where to go to look up information and what to do with it. And I think this is pretty important. I don't see this talked a whole lot about, but uh, what is a fail-safe protocol and how do you set it up? Um, how to program uh, a fail-safe protocol to keep the pilot and those around them safe. There's multiple ways to do that. Um, and you can either do it uh, beta flight side, you can do it uh, transmitter side. Um, so, you know, and, and what that needs to look like for different scenarios. So um, I actually just saw a topic in one of the commercial UAS uh, um, boards the other day. And uh, it's kind of interesting how a lot of them set it to hover, or, uh, whereas, most of the time, I know I set mine to come down. Just you know, that way I know it's not going someplace where I don't want it to go. So, 
these are a couple of topics we thought of. Um, if there are ones that you would like to maybe try and tackle, and as these don't need to be professional quality, these need to be, let's get the information out there. Let's make sure the information's right. And literally, you know, all I'm asking for is, is 30 seconds to a minute of what you do on one of these topics, how you make sure you uh, adhere to the these safety guidelines or uh, how you set up a fail safe or so on and so forth. Um, just so, you know, we have some, some content coming out of this national drone safety week that we can uh, participate with, you know, as a, as a fledgling organization as, and as a startup, it's hard to put it on an event or something like that at this point in time. Uh, we hope to do that in the future. But definitely, uh, we would like to publish some content to, to push out there. So thoughts, questions, ideas for topics, volunteers. Anyone? Well, I'll volunteer to make some for sure. Okay. Well, I know I definitely want to. I I want to get in on uh, maybe how to use like uh, the Lance authorization, how to use some of the apps and stuff like that. I think that would be uh, some good information to put out there. Um, but uh, you know, I just saved all the notes. I mean, I'll go through them. Okay. I'll see if I can figure out something. See if something comes in my head. Absolutely. And keep in mind, this is just some ideas. You know, if you think of something else. Um, a lot of these were pulled from our safety guidelines and, uh, you know, it's today's the 16th drone safety week doesn't start until, uh, the fourth, but, uh, and, um, uh, recreational flight really doesn't, uh, kick in until the weekend. So we've got a little bit of time to do this. If you need some help, uh, or you need maybe some help editing, you can feel free to hit me up. I'm, I'm happy to help with that. Um, I know Dan's an amazing editor as well, uh, according to his flight videos. Um, but, uh, you know, keep in mind, you don't have to do this in a vacuum. You know, get your friends involved, uh, um, maybe your flight group if you fly with a group. Uh, you know, it's a great way to get your group name out there and um, get the FPVFC out there. So yeah, I could definitely see some of those needing a group of people like, oh, Oh my gosh, you just plugged in and where'd my video go? You know, show an example right. of that. Pretend that's happening. Make make it kind of funny. Absolutely. So. <laughs> make it happen for the realness. <laughs> <laughs> somebody says, oh my gosh, somebody just plugged in and they show their, their drone dropping to a pile of dog poop or something. <laughs> that would be hilarious. So, um... Speaking of the FPVFC's name getting out there, uh, Dave is currently, uh, he is waiting to go to the DAC meeting tomorrow. Um, Dan was able to discover that it is going to be live streamed uh, on uh, both faith, on the FAA's Facebook and their YouTube starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Um, I won't get to watch all of it, I'm sure, but I'm going to kind of chime in where I can and just see what's going on. Um, but, um, 
Dave was able to participate in one of the task groups from the last DAC uh, involved uh, around remote identification. And we were able to kind of get some ideas uh, in there that would benefit recreational users. Um, and uh, we got mentioned in the DAC notes, uh, not the notes, but really the meeting uh, minutes. Um, and to go along with some of that and you know some of the concerns that that we had were you know what's the equipage going to look like for remote identification and what the um you know the ability of people to look at you know the remote id information uh, whether it was encrypted or not um our push was really for you know the amount of people looking at it should be very limited um it should be minimal to no additions to our uh, aircraft um, and uh, it should be encrypted uh, at every stage so that uh, it prevents people from spoofing your ID or anything like that. So those were some of the inclusions. Uh, Dave, did I really miss anything? I know we talked like a ton about the remote ID. Yeah. And the, um, uh, around the remote ID, they were also there was an, another group uh, that uh, was charged with coming up with incentives. What would motivate people to use remote ID if uh, during the period that it's in a in a voluntary stage? And um, and so the uh, uh, in in addition, there was also a security task group. Uh, so that's written up. Uh, and they've got a number of recommendations. And then uh, you also see that uh, there are, uh, as uh, Josh uh, mentioned early on, there are uh, new task um, tasking groups uh, kick, uh, that will be kicked off tomorrow. Uh, another 90-day turnaround, one of them beyond visual line of sight. Uh, that's top of the list to uh, all of the commercial folks and, of course, anyone uh, doing long-range FPV. Um, and I, one is on facility maps, and then the third one is on uh, UTM, if I've got that list right. Um, so, yep, you sure do. The, the overall view of um, why uh, we're excited to be involved with the FAA uh, Drone Advisory Committee is this is very much a you know a seek change by you know working from within, and so you know we're not trying to be uh, uh, antagonistic to the FAA. We're trying to be collaborative and and help where we can and make changes, you know, for our uh, our own benefit. And so I, I think there's, you know, we're just starting to uh, to make some changes. And for everyone who's interested, I suggest you take a look at that ebook PDF for the Drone Advisory Committee's meeting tomorrow, and you'll see some stuff in there like they they acknowledge that the recreational Pilots, recreational flyers are going to be flying models that will not have any kind of remote ID on them and that they're making plans for that and how to accommodate them in the airspace. Right. Yeah, yeah a and big, the, it, a big part of the remote ID discussion, non-equipped. So if you're non-equipped, you can utilize a Lance capability and uh, still submit a flight plan. You have to be registered. And uh, you identify the, geog the geogra geographical space you're going to fly, and you come, you get back a uh, what's your uh, the altitude ceiling that uh, 
that you're limited to and, and go. And that's, of course, in controlled airspace. So it's not perfect. Uh, you know, what we have now would be, be better where you don't have anything, but it seems like something we could live with, or at least I could. I don't know what other people think. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think a lot of the, the points that we kind of discussed as we were going through this, and, and keep in mind, guys, the reason we didn't talk about this before is, is a lot of this stuff was kind of confidential. So, um, you know, it's not that we wanted to keep the community out. It's just that um, we were kind of coming in mid-sentence and we had to kind of, you know, roll with the flow until we discovered kind of what was going on. So. Um, but some of this stuff, you know, I, I know, uh, you know, like we talked about, uh, the, um, encryption and limiting those who would have, uh, access to that information. And, um, one of the things that we brought up were, was, uh, the ability to, and this sounds silly, but if you think about it, the, the first point of contact for, for non-equipped was, you would define an area on a map and you would be able to fly 400 feet from that area. It's not a lot of space, especially for people with fixed wing or um, even longer uh, mid-range quads. You know, um, Some parks are, are much bigger than that and visual line of sight is much further than that. So uh, we talked about being able to define your area um, on the map for non-equipped. So um, different different ideas that we felt would benefit the the community um within the the the, the thought process that remote id is coming how do we make it as unintrusive into our hobby as possible um sar is remote id limited to controlled airspace no it's not going to be limited to controlled airspace um it's Lance is limited to controlled airspace, but remote ID will will most definitely. However, there may be, you know, if you read through the 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 link that I posted and you go through the remote ID um, in the incentive portions, uh, they're talking about providing incentives uh, for people who are participating in remote ID, being able to fly in in more places, um, be first in line for uh, way. Uh, for night operations and um, operations over people, um, as well as uh, local, like city and state regulations being kind of eased up on people uh, who uh, participate in remote ID. So those are some of the starting incentives uh, that are being discussed. Uh, we won't know officially what that rolls out as until... Um, I'm sure they're going to start submitting for uh, um, uh, NPRMs pretty soon on, on some of these topics. So um, we'll see what that rolls out as uh, once that comes out. But right. And we're, we're hoping the remote ID NR, NRPM is uh, December 20, 2019. Yep. So um remote uh recreational to kind of touch on that a lot of that is going to fall under the non-equipped um so if you are in there and you see not equipped that's where recreational is going to kind of fall under but you're um, right sar that the drone advisory committee is definitely more focused on commercial than they are in recreational which absolutely is why we really need to be there and keep reminding them hey you know there's other people out here too Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. so is the the 
non-equipped basically going to be like shielded operations? So, oh, no. no. Um, non-equipped remote ID is... I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, that might have come across wrong. I mean, kind of like in the idea that non-equipped obviously means that you don't have the transponder. But Correct. It, you can request to fly here and basically what if they what if tomorrow they say that you know non-equipped can request to fly wherever they want but they only get a hundred foot ceiling right and the thought process is is that uh, remote id um, is going to be one of those requirements in order to fly um, and whether you're not equipped or equipped, um, but let's focus on the non-equipped because 99% of us are going to be non-equipped. Basically, what that would look like is, is similar to what you're doing with Lance. You put in your location into an app on the cell phone, and you basically are self-reporting that you're flying there. Um, that way, if there's an incident, then law enforcement would be able to say, okay, so so-and-so with registration number this was flying there. They can go to the FAA. FAA can look up information on who that was and direct law enforcement on the next steps that they needed to take. So um, that's the thought process behind the non-equipped. Um, yeah. And so it's basically a self-reporting feature. Whereas people with equipped aircraft, it would be automatic. Uh, it's it's going to function either over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, um, or even perhaps you know the the four or five G kind of situation. So one so. thing near the beginning of that document I found extra interesting and almost fits into shielded operations was when it said that the drone advisory committee was going to t discuss uh, pain points or areas where they feel the UAS operations may be possible either given restrictions or during limited times. For example, opening up operations in a long street, well, they got some weird wording here, <laughs> in areas where they are currently prohibited as long as the UAS remain at or below the level of the highest buildings. This would yeah. allow drone work for I surveys. did see that, and I thought that so, was like, pretty interesting. Yeah, that definitely sounds a lot like shielded operations to me. Not exactly, but it does. getting into that realm. Yeah, That's and good. it's... It, it's it's more i mean it is geared more towards the commercial side for like surveying um i know like around me i've seen drones being used when they're building freeways um or uh the uh sound walls along freeways uh, right so i was sure. thinking if there's sort of a, a some leeway there or an exception for that use case then we could fit under we can, that ex for the same reason right we're not surveying anything but we're flying in those same sort of circumstances if that's safe, then so is what Bruce, we're doing. Uh, Bruce, uh, kind of explain your question for me. I think it's related to some of the European regulations now about every drone is going to have to be electronically conspicuous, so it's going to have to have a broadcasting remote ID of some sort on it. There's a difference so between well, there's a difference between remote ID and electronic conspicuity. Conspicuity is like a transponder, like ADSB, where you're visible to air traffic control. Remote ID is something that operates over a much shorter range. So if someone sees your drone flying, a law enforcement officer, he can pull out a smartphone and, and find the ID of that drone. So th there is a distinction between the two. And so um, hopefully both systems will be, will be the same. Otherwise, we end up with two pieces of electronics on our, on our equipment. So the idea is, is that uh, OEM manufacturers, such as like DJI, 
would have um, the network uh, or the equipped remote ID. Uh, it's going to be something similar that that uh, talks via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi um, or even cell phone signals, uh, whereas the hobbyist would be non-equipped, basically self-report via an app. So the tech, the the basically the technology that law enforcement or FAA would use to see who's flying would be all grouped together, but it would be two different scenarios. Um, they're trying to kind of bring commercial and uh, recreational together, but they understand that there's a, a, a an equipage difference between them. Right. Does that make right. sense? And to, and to build to build on that, the remote ID that was uh, put forward uh, points to the ASTM F38 standard that's under ballot right now, and that's an that it will be an international standard. The view that that will hopefully uh, be picked up uh, by uh, some of the leading uh, FAA counterparts around the world. And that will define how we could create remote ID. And then from there, um, the uh, having a uh, an aircraft be conspicuous is more discussed along the lines of uh, DAA or detect and avoid. And so uh, what we're uh, pushing for on, on con being conspicuous is uh, we would like to have manned aircraft be conspicuous and have um, uh, UAS be able to uh, perform a detect and avoid. That allows for a much smaller, lighter, and uh, less complexity uh, for the UAS. I did also, when I was talking with uh, Kevin Morris, the FAA's drone guy, he mentioned flat out that there's no way that the ADSB system in the United States could handle the drone traffic. There's just right. so much of that. It would just flood the system and that it, it's not a good idea. So I don't see yeah, the FAA so pushing that at yeah, all. Saturate the bandwidth. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine if any ADSB technology was equipped on drones, it's going to be a... Is it receive only, um, where it's only, it's only right. bringing that's in that's signals and and reacting to the signals it's sensing. So exactly, right. But, ADSB. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank you. So. Um, that what that is what DJI has committed to incorporate into their um, drones uh, above 250 grams manufactured in 2020 and beyond. That's good to know, considering the trouble that I've seen most DJI pilots cause. Oh, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. that's fun. So <laughs> I think, I think, I think uh, some of these new task groups um, that are going to be coming out of tomorrow's uh, DIC are going to be interesting. Um, I am particularly interested, as I'm sure a lot of you are, are on the. Um, uh, beyond visual line of sight and how that'll work. And keep in mind, again, a lot of this is going to be kind of skewed towards uh, um, commercial. But you know, the nice part is is that we're, you know, by participating in these processes, that we're able to kind of bring the recreational uh, thought processes into um, 
into the FAA and make sure that we are heard and that we're being considered because yeah, they may not listen know. to us, but at least we're given a chance. Yep. And, and by doing so, we're able to kind of, you know, keep this stuff minimalistic for what we need to continue on with our hobby. I yeah. Cause they, they haven't really cool. put down a definitive line between commercial and recreational yet. No. And I mean, so, uh, I'll be really looking forward to, to some of these new tasking groups, uh, the 90 day turnaround, um, while, while busy, it's, it's kind of nice that things are moving at a, a, a decent pace now. Um, right. I'd like to see that and continue. The, <laughs> and the way, the way this process works, of course, is that the drone advisory committee is a, um, a combination. It's predominantly private. So there, you know, there are not many, uh, uh public. Uh, folks involved, but there are that they are there. Uh, there's uh, FDNY, there's NYPD, there's uh, uh, airport uh, personnel, etc. A lot of uh, commercial uh, industry folks. They're providing input to the FAA uh, integration office. The integration office will turn uh, the work over to rulemaking folks in the FAA, and then we'll see uh, notice of uh, uh, of rules uh, coming out that go up for public comment. So. That's the, the process that we're in the midst of. So, um, so get the community ready for public comments. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. That's why I mentioned the December 20, uh, 2019 is, uh, I would suggest a, a very important, uh, timeframe for the remote ID comment period. There is, uh, that one. And then there's also, and I'm trying to find the page as I'm scrolling through this quickly. No, because my um, life is quite hectic. Are you guys going to be able to post in here or somewhere so that I would be able to remember? Absolutely. Yes, yes we'll be soliciting help and comments. All right. Uh, that so reminds I got me. quite a few groups that will probably definitely comment on that. I, I need yep. to post on our Facebook about the live stream tomorrow of the DAC so that people can tune into it. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Okay, here we go. So, um, let's see. So, uh, just a little bit of an update. Um, the request for information uh, for uh, the knowledge test, administration of the knowledge test that closed uh, middle of last month, almost a, a full month ago. Um, the FAA did get 40 submissions. Um, the examination board is drafting, currently drafting the knowledge test content, um, and they're saying that the work is 95% complete, and the board includes representatives from the AMA and the Small UAV Coalition. Um, would have been nice to be a part of that, um, but um, I would imagine that... Uh, we will be seeing um, some more information coming out on the knowledge test pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, ASTM F38. Um, so looks like they're going to be sending out the test designees uh, around December. So hopefully we hear back soon on that. Um, and kind of go from there. So let's see. 
since I'm going through the Facebook, um, yeah. what happened with the AMA and that whole letter that was sent out? All of a sudden now they're going to be pushing for what? I didn't really guess I didn't really catch the whole. Um, so the thought process is, is that the AMA uh, was pushing for uh, some exemptions for their fixed flight areas. Um, from the 400 foot um, from the 400 foot ceiling on recreational flight, right. um, and the it seems like the FAA has basically come back and said no, that's not going to happen. So that's what that's about. Um, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, how that worked out. So are they like going to be more heavily involved and care about all of this more now? I can't speak to what they are going to be doing. Um, I do know that they are uh, a part of the DAC. Um, it does appear that they are working on creating the knowledge exam test questions and content. Um, beyond that, I can't speak to what they are or aren't doing. Um, well, at least I, at least we got like half the hobbyists in there. Yeah, I mean the the AMA is a large organization. They have well over two hundred thousand members. Um, but you know, and, and they definitely, uh, in terms of quantity of members, beat us out by a long shot. But we're relatively new. They've been at it for many, many, many decades. So, you know, I I would look to anybody with an interest in model aviation to want to be helping with uh, maintaining our freedoms with flying um, in any way that they can. Um, that's why we're here and, and that's why we're doing what yeah. we're doing. So the, yeah. the other thing is the approach that the AMA took was to, they've been working with the uh, FAA uh, they were upset that they did not get the 700 and 1200 foot um, uh, AGL ceilings in uncontrolled airspace, and they're, they said that they've been uh, doing everything they uh, trying to talk with everyone in the FAA they could, and so as a last resort, they went. They're going to Congress to lobby uh, for change to the FAA. So the approach that we're preferring to take is to work uh, collaboratively with the FAA, uh, figure out a way to uh, make you know, make the change, get the change to, that we can, um, and would would really rather not go to, uh, uh, to Congress uh, and uh, literally lobby uh, for change. And so that's that's what the, the AMA has uh, been doing in their in their push. Now, as we said, the, the AMA has been working with the um, FAA on the on these uh, these specific uh, programs uh, back about till 2015 well, that kind of makes me happy they're they're lobbying against them I mean the, the only thing that I would really want them to lobby for is the repeal of the amendments to the reauthorization act of 2018 because I believe that they should have to have congressional approval in order to create laws they should not have the ultimate power that they do. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I don't, I, I've not heard anyone uh, pressing that. Yeah. 
I don't know that maybe it's just from the generational thing. Cause like when it comes to that, that, that scared the crap out of me when I first read that, because I was always taught that once, once you start seeing that happen with one agency, it's going to happen with other ones too. Right. At least with Congress being somewhat dysfunctional, you know, you got some time. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Well, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I, I'm curious. You know, I I feel like, you know, it was a, it just, it doesn't feel right that they were going to get an exemption that nobody else got. So, I mean. Well, it's shady how they did. Yeah. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But at any rate. Um, Sorry, I'm pretty good at digression. No, you're, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, nothing is ever off topic. We just, you know, need to swing back around. So. Um, so if you do guys, if you do have any ideas on, uh, videos or, you know, articles for drone safety week, articles are kind of my specialty, but I will commit to doing a video. Um, and you know, or you want to take on one of the posted ones, please reach out to one of us, uh, Dan, Dave, or I, um, and let us know. Um, and we're happy to provide you with, uh, you know, some help, uh, if we can. Uh, we do have video resources. I know Dan had linked those uh, a couple of days ago in the chat. Um, and Or I think they were in, where were they? Design and Merch chat. Uh, we linked a couple of those. Um, so there are some assets there uh, if you want to use those. I'll be making one. Um, and we know Dan will be making one. So. Uh, we got two of them knocked out. So if you'd like to make one, let us know, and we will jump on those and give you whatever help we can. Um, if you do have any questions for uh, Dave and the DAC, um, please let us know about that as well. Um, if you can, check out the live stream tomorrow. Um, I'll have that on and off uh, during the day so I can kind of check out what's going on. Let's see. Sar, any thoughts on page 86? Let me look at that real quick before we wrap up. Looking, looking. The top slide. Let's see. So page 86, yeah, the top of it says... FAA Reauthorization Act 2018, Section 372, directs the FAA to establish a pilot program to use available remote detection and identification technologies for safety and enforcement actions to pursue non-compliant UAS operators. I have no idea what that's going to look like or what that did look like. Um, I haven't heard anything, and I don't know... Dan, have you heard anything on some of your sources? No, I don't think so. Um, so it looks like, yeah, it looks like they might have been using, uh, you know, I would imagine that they're probably using some kind of anti-frequency uh, uh, or frequency uh, spammers or uh, some kind of microphone sound sensing um, technology. I know it exists for UAS. 
Was this uh, one of those test site things that maybe um, Zoe went to? Maybe. And they've they've gone outside of uh, the test sites. They have done some counter UAS mostly around Stadia, and just it happened around the Super Bowl, and there was another recent one where uh, the FAA working in uh, 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 car. Or, working with the uh, FBI as well as local law enforcement um, created a geofence around uh, a stadium. So, I mean, th that's happening. Let's see. Yeah, so I don't, I haven't heard any news come out of that, so um, but I will keep my eyes open because if somebody got you know, tagged, they'll, I'm sure they'll have some more information somewhere, either on Facebook, Reddit, or you know, some of the other places where they stash information. So, any other questions, concerns, comments? All right, guys. Well, I'd like to thank you all for joining tonight, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Definitely. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All right. Thank Appreciate you. it. Have a good one.